join me as we pray together. And we thank you, Jesus, that our creed is not just in propositions and ideas, but in a person, and a person who lives today. And we thank you for these many different ways in which we have been able together to affirm our faith and trust in you. And we continue, Lord, as we keep worshipping you in many different ways today. We trust you to keep speaking to us. Thank you that the one that we believe in, because he's a living God, is in relationship with us. And so often during this worship service, we pause to affirm that and we ask you to speak to us. We ask you through the Holy Spirit of God in the next little while, as, as various people speak about you and your work, that you will continue to bring faith and hope alive afresh into our hearts, Father. For we want to embrace your move, O God. We thank you that you're moving amongst us and moving in this city and moving in this world and we want to be part of that movement. And so today, do all of those things that are necessary to keep us moving with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to think for a moment of a small group that you belong to. Perhaps it's a small group in this church. Think of your own nuclear family. Think of this church as a group. And how as a group would you, for example, complete this sentence? Oh God, with all our hearts, we long to be. How would you fill out that sentence as a family, as a small group? And if you were a group fashioning that for this church? Because we don't have time today to work that through as a group. But I want to just pause for about 30 seconds so you can just think. How would you fill out that sentence for yourself? Oh God, with all our hearts, we long to be. What kind of words... Phrases, concepts, dreams, ideas come to mind that you would then fill out as an expression of your group's longing. Well, about four years ago, I was part of a small group called the Strategic Vision Task Force for our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. And one of the things we were working on was, in fact, developing a new vision statement for our whole denomination. And really, after two and a half years of work, this is what we came up with. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long to be a movement of churches transformed by Christ, transforming Canada and the world. By your grace and for your glory, renew and empower us through a fresh encounter with yourself. Release us to be strategic in service, kingdom connected in practice, and passionate in pursuit of your mission and mercy. Now, as I looked at it this past week, I noticed how all of the five purposes of the purpose-driven life that we've been looking at in this month of October are all contained in that prayer. First of all, it is a prayer for transformation. That was the purpose discipleship we looked at two weeks ago. Uh, The prayer talks about a fresh encounter with God. That's what worship is all about, and that's where we began this uh, five-week journey. Uh, It's a prayer to be released for strategic service, and we looked at that purpose of service last week. It talks about being kingdom connected in practice, connected with other people. That's fellowship, which we will look at next week. And then, of course, it talks us about being passionate in pursuit of Christ's mission of mercy and mercy. And that's the, the purpose that I want to focus on today. Uh, we've looked at worship. We've been planned for God's pleasure. We've looked at discipleship. We've been created to be like Christ. And last week we looked at service. We have been shaped for service. And today I want to talk about evangelism, that we have been made by Christ for a mission. And I want to use this this, uh, prayer of our denomination 
as a launching point, if you will, to amplify certain dimensions of this purpose that God has made us for. The very first thing I want to focus on is the prayer which says, By your grace and for your glory, renew and empower us through a fresh encounter with yourself. Which really, of course, is a prayer for us to be renewed or revived. Now you might say, just a minute, I thought you were talking about evangelism, how come we're talking about revival? Well, Dr. James Edwin Orr was a man who had studied the subject of revival for over 60 years in his life and has three earned doctors in that subject. One time he was speaking to a group of about 200 pastors and he asked them this question. He said, if there was one prayer that you would like God to answer for you, what would it be? Uh, somebody who was a Sunday school superintendent and was lamenting the demise of the, and in the decrease in the effectiveness and interest in Sunday schools will pray that that's what he would ask God to, pray, uh, to, to do. Uh, a, a worker with Teen Challenge in New York said, I would pray for more street workers to work with uh, drug addicts. Uh, a missionary on furlough said, oh, I would pray that God would send many, many more workers overseas. And then Orr asked him this question. If God answers one of your prayers, the other ones would be left unanswered. He said, what prayer which if answered would answer all of the prayers at the same time? And it was a pr- the prayer for revival. You see, and church history in the last, especially in the last two, three hundred years, has shown us that every major movement, missionary movement and, and of social work, all the ones that we are familiar with in the 20th century, Almost all of them got their birth and their genesis in times of revival. The China Inland Mission, for example, of which Hudson Taylor was an important part. Um, General Booth's Salvation Army. These all found their genesis and their origin in the 19th century revivals that swept North America. And so, a prayer for revival is very, very intimately connected with this prayer for mission. You see, because in times of revival, there are three things that happen. The first thing that happens is we catch a glimpse of the glory of God and especially the holiness of God in a way that we've not seen before. One, one inevitable effect of that is a, is a much, much deeper understanding of our own sinfulness, which then in turn helps us to see the beauty and the grace of Christ in a way that we've never seen before because we appreciate his love in forgiving us that sin, which then of course leads to a new compassion for sinners and the need to take the message of Jesus Christ to them. That's why revival, a confrontation with His glory, an appreciation of His grace, leads to an outward focus. That's why the prayer is so appropriate. By your grace and for your glory, renew us with a fresh encounter with yourself. And that word fresh is important too. In this fulfillment of mission as in any other area of your life, what worked yesterday is not good enough for today or tomorrow. Individually and corporately, as we take the message of Jesus Christ out to those who do not know, we need continual fresh visitations from God. Two stories in the Old Testament drove that home for me afresh this past week as I was thinking about it. Many of you might recall that when the Israelites were walking in the wilderness, God fed them miraculously with manna. And one of the things he said to them was, just take what you need for each day. Don't save up anything. But of course, there were always these innovators, you know, religious innovators in those days too. And they said, well, let's try something different. Let's keep some and see what happens. Well, the Bible tells us that the next morning, whatever they kept over had rotted and had bred worms. It was no longer bread to feed you. It was something that bred worms. We need fresh manna for every day. Today's manna is what we need from God. What he did yesterday, hankering for the good old days, is not what's going to work 
in accomplishing his mission. I thought of another picture in the Old Testament. That was when God uh, gave directions for how he should be worshipped. He asked him to build a tent. A tent that could be picked up, taken down, picked up, taken down and moved along. Many hundreds of years later, David, after he became king, wanted to build a permanent temple, a magnificent building for God. And God's first response to him through the prophet Nathan was, when did I ever ask you to build me a building? We well, see, there's something significant about the fact that God ordained worship, if you will, in a movable tabernacle. Because it drives home to us the fact that the God that we worship cannot be localized in any one place. He's a God who's moving. And you know what? If we're going to be continuing to experience God's grace and worship, we're going to keep moving. Somebody said it's impossible to follow Jesus and remain where you are. Read the Gospels and you'll find he was on the move. That's why it's a movement. We long to be a movement of churches. And this is what is true generally of life. is true very specifically in evangelism. Our own Vaughan church plant that's coming up. It really is an exercise in in evangelism. Because planting churches is one of the most effective ways of reaching more and more people. And they're not just going to be a clone of Rextail. God's going to be doing some new things in that place with them. And by the way, when they leave, it won't be business as usual here. (laughs) There's going to be all kinds of changes. Last night my mother asked me, well, Jonathan leaves. Who's going to lead in worship? (laughs) Well, there's new people waiting in the wings. And they'll bring some new elements to it. A movement is something that focuses forward. A monument is something that looks backward. In our accomplishing of the mission of Christ, we are going to be a movement, not a monument. Neither Rexdale, nor Vaughan Church, or any other church we plant, by the grace of God, will be a movement, not a monument. That's why this prayer for revival, by your grace and for your glory, renew us with a fresh encounter with yourself, is absolutely essential first component in accomplishing Christ's mission. Then look at the second one. Release us to be strategic in service. See, one of the immediate objections that many people find arising within them when we talk about evangelism is, but I'm not an evangelist. And you know what? That's not an excuse. All kinds of studies have shown the same thing. Approximately 10% of a local church has the gift of evangelism. Which means 90% of us don't. (laughs) But to be strategic in service when it comes to accomplishing Christ's mission, very specifically, I think, is a call to all of us to be involved in this, but in a way that consistent with who God has made us through our gifts. Now, let me use myself as an example. I don't have the, I'm not one of the 10%. This weekend I was at a conference and Miles Valley was with me on Friday. And you know, if you know Miles Valley, you can't shut the guy up. You know, he's just talking all the time about mission and the church. That's okay. That's the gift that God has given to him, which is why I love hanging around with him. It's, it's good to hang around with passionate people, you know. But I'm not like that. My spiritual gifts are preaching and teaching. That's what I do primarily. Well, so I try to use that in many different ways when it comes to fulfilling Christ's mission. Every September we have these friends here. This past time, Pastor Andre preached those messages. But most of the time when I do that, for those three Sundays or weekends, I do my best to use my gifts to, to help people who are on a journey understand the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe answer some questions that they are grappling with. I find it also happens when I do weddings. I have far more conversations with unchurched people at at and after weddings than I ever do normally in my life. Not too long ago in one of the weddings that I did this year, one of the people was from an unchurched background. In fact, from a different religious background altogether. But she had come to faith in Christ. And after that wedding, I talked to one of her 15-year-old nephews who was from another faith. And we both, he was asking me all kinds of questions about the Bible. 
and a 15-20 minute conversation at the back of the sanctuary. I would not normally have had that with that person. And, and often when I do premarital counseling sometimes, I find that uh, people who don't have a clear understanding of their faith in Christ, or some who are not, at least on three occasions I remember, have come to faith in Christ through that. So that, that's, that's the way it works for me. Now you don't have, may not have the same gifts that I do, but it doesn't matter. Whatever gifts you have, when we begin to use those in the context of relationship with those who do not yet know Christ, we are doing evangelism in a strategic way. Almost all of you have jobs. And if you remember our God and Work seminar here, the whole thrust of that seminar, that one day seminar, was to cast a vision for all of us in the workplace that we have a wonderful opportunity to accomplish Christ's mission. Not by jumping up on those soapboxes like we heard this, like we saw before us, but by living lives of integrity in our workplace by excellence in our work, and by harmony in our relationships. And if you remember, those of you who were at the seminar, Vic Downing, the speaker, shared with us that research was showing that one of the greatest needs that people express in the workplace that is more motivating and more important to them than career progression and whatnot is a friend. They want a best friend. And he simply asked the questions, can you be a best friend to somebody at work? That, that's a strategic way of doing mission. Not only that, another dimension of being strategic in service is to do it together. We were never intended to do it all alone. Some of those 10% are the types that go out all alone. But most of the remaining 90% of us work together in a group. Like take those friend services once again. I do the preaching and the teaching, but you do the inviting. And then we invite them to Fran and there are people who set up tables and cook meals and wash dishes using their gifts of service. Other people are table hosts leading discussions. It takes a whole group of people working together. That's being strategic in service. And so, using our spiritual gifts together in the context of relationships with those who do not yet know Christ is one of the normal ways in which a church accomplishes its mission. Now, the next phrase is called kingdom connected in practice. What is that talking about? Just like within a church we need each other to do the work of mission together. Similarly, churches need each other, denominations need each other, and denominations and churches need parachurch organizations. This hits the issue of pride head on. There is absolutely no room when it comes to accomplishing Christ's mission for statements like, look at what our church does. Look at what our denomination has done. These things don't help the cause, they get in the way of the cause. What we need instead is to work together. And again, praise God, we can give you so many illustrations of that. Scott and Laurel McLean and their family are back home on furlough for this year. They work in Malawi, but they haven't gone out with the Christian Missionary Alliance. They've gone out with Emmanuel International. Last Sunday night, those of you who were here for a concert of prayer, we, we commissioned Jamie Strickland, a young man who grew up in our church. So, Jamie's a Rexdale guy. He's working on the campus at the University of uh, Waterloo. But he's working under the auspices of Campus Crusade for Christ, a parachurch organization. Tuesday night, I'm going to be speaking at a banquet for Arab World Ministries. That's not an alliance organization, a parachurch organization. It's a fundraising banquet. I don't know, and the, and the theme of the conference is called Bringing Peace to the Arab World. I'm not an expert in any of those things. I'm not an expert at fundraising. I'm not an expert on the Arab world or, or peace in the Middle East. So what am I doing then? Well, in the judgment of the people who, who manage these things, they thought that I could preach and teach and help people 
get a biblical vision for it. So I'm going to use whatever gifts I have from Rexdale Alliance Church to help Arab world ministries raise resources. That's kingdom connected in practice. But let me bring it down from all of these big organizational things to individuals. What does kingdom connected in practice look like when it comes down to one individual? Uh, Youth for Christ, which now is known as Youth Unlimited, have a division of their work called Light Patrol. And they work out with the kids on the streets. Here's a story of 11-year-old Rasha. Beaten, raped, and pimped out by her father at the age of 11, she was literally introduced to a suicidal street life while still a child. She became a heroin and crack user at the age of 12. Her own mother took the liberty of hooking her preteen up to her addictions while simultaneously selling her to the sex trade. Well, that's when Light Patrol got in touch with her. And it says the hours of love and care and prayers turned from dozens to hundreds. Days became weeks and then months. Moments, hours, days given to members of the Light Patrol team to pour into Rochelle's heart and mind and soul. And then eventually she was connected with Freedom Village in upstate New York. The normal rules of this organization were adjusted uniquely for Rochelle and she was able to stay there. Healthy and significant days passed. Phone calls and a lot of prayer. 38 clean and sober days later she called. Laughing with joy she reached our office to tell those who had loved her purely and unconditionally that she had accepted Jesus into her heart. We were in the middle of a meeting when the call came in. I sat and watched the team weep and literally shake with emotion when they received the news. No pride, no credit sought, simply joy, knowing that the angels were indeed singing. Now you may say, what does that have to do with Rexdale? Because June Moore heads up a team of people here who make sandwiches on a regular basis to give out to Light Patrol. And June Moore's small group prayed regularly for Rasha. That's kingdom connected in practice, bringing it down to one single individual. It takes both the kind of focused work of Youth Unlimited and Light Patrol and, and the mundane, unspectacular work of making sandwiches and then a loving heart praying for days, weeks, months together. Strategic in service, kingdom connected in practice. And of course, Rochelle's story introduced, basically introduced us to the last point as well, to be passionate in pursuit of your mission and mercy. The mission, of course, refers to the spiritual dimension, taking the message of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard. But that's only part of the story. See, the, the evangelical church, I think, uh, uh, made a mistake of, of separating what Jesus put together. The, the Bible tells us that, you know, Jesus told many parables. Probably the two most well-known ones, which even most unchurched people know, are this parable of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. Well, the parable of the prodigal son deals with estrangement from God. The parable of the good Samaritan deals with material needs. And Jesus put both of those together. See, when, when human beings sinned, and Simon sang the story of what he believes, when human beings sinned, they were separated from God. That was a spiritual estrangement, but that was only one dimension of what happened. That same story in Genesis chapter 3 tells us that there was psychological alienation. They were no longer happy with who they were. They hid themselves from one another. There was social alienation. There was uh, blaming and buck-passing going on. There was vocational alienation. They were alienated from nature. Work now became a matter of sweat and tears. And then there was physical degeneration as well. All of these dimensions were the results of the fall. And taking the good news of Christ to people involves addressing all those needs. 
That's why I actually think for this fifth, for this fourth purpose, reconciliation is a better word than evangelism. So that when people minister to physical needs, giving sandwiches to hungry people, when they deal with the psychological hurts and the pain that's caused by the kind of treatment that someone like Rochelle went through, when we are working to become peacemakers, reconciling relationships, and this is another key role you can have as Christians in the workplace, you are doing the work of evangelism and reconciliation. So let's not separate those two things. And that's why the ministry of uh, NeighborLink in Rexdale is such an important ministry. We don't just have Alpha to reach out to lost people or just the drop-in center to communicate the gospel to kids in the high school across the street. But also NeighborLink over the last couple of years is becoming a significantly important ministry in our church, reaching out to the poor in the community, in mission and mercy. And listen to what's happening as a result of that. And I have Sam's permission to share this story. Last Tuesday, we meet for a staff meeting on Tuesday in the, the, what we call the echo chamber. And he is across from the food pantry. And Sam said this, after our staff meeting, I popped my head into our food pantry to take the opportunity to thank, and he mentioned the lady there, one of the people we've been reaching out to as a church through NeighborLink and who has now started attending the church and serves with the food pantry ministry. She was excited to tell me that she has just read Day 29 on the Purpose Driven Life book. And she was challenged to take two weeks of holidays off to go and serve others by going downtown and serve soup to the homeless. God is transforming people right before our eyes. I tell you, let me ask you the question, folks. How many of us would take two weeks of our vacations off to go and serve downtown in the soup kitchen? Yet God is already doing that to people who have benefited from it. Mission and mercy are something that go together. That's why, that's why the, this prayer, I believe, is so appropriate, a launching point for us to think clearly about this, this purpose of evangelism or reconciliation. You can pray just as it stands. Write it on a little card, memorize it. It's so easy to memorize. And every day, maybe before you begin the day, take a few moments just to pray that word for yourself, for your family, for your small group, for your church. And sometimes you can use those phrases to expand it in a longer prayer time, like I did this morning in a message. So let's, let's pray together. Read, read this together. As we'll read it through once to familiarize ourselves, then we'll read it through a second time as our prayer to God. O oh God, with all our hearts, we long to be a movement of churches, transformed by Christ, transforming Canada and the world. By your grace and for your glory, Renew and empower us through a fresh encounter with yourself. Release us to be strategic in service, kingdom connected in practice, and passionate in pursuit of your mission and mercy. And now that you have a feeling for the words and the phrases, will you pray it with me again and remember you're talking to Jesus. O oh God, with all our hearts, we long to be a movement of churches, transformed by Christ, transforming Canada and the world. By your grace and for your glory, renew and empower us through a fresh encounter with yourself. Release us to be strategic in service, kingdom connected in practice, and passionate in pursuit of your mission and mercy. In the next few minutes, you're going to see one very concrete way in which you can immediately practice mercy. And then we're going to have a group of people and then one individual come up and talk about 
various ways in which they have been used by God and are being used by God uh, to be all of these things in communicating the gospel as representatives of Rex Alliance Church. For my benediction this morning, I want to go back to one phrase that I uh, did not comment on at all. That's the opening one. It says, Oh God, with all our hearts, we long to be. For some of us, that's where the problem starts. We don't even have a longing for such things. I don't know your hearts, but you do. And that's, I just want to bless you. I want to bless you with fresh desires. May the Holy Spirit of God, who alone can touch the desires of our heart, give each one of us the desire of longing itself. That you might indeed replace for all of those things that you would have filled out in that opening exercise I gave you. This longing. A longing for a fresh encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His grace and in all of His glory. And then may you have the joy of experiencing in your own way to be strategically involved in proclaiming that glorious name to others. Go in Jesus' name.